0: Dear God, we thank you so much for a space like this where we can kind of come and gather and clear our minds and hearts of all the distractions, all the clutter that's going on in life. We don't have a lot of space like this. We need it. We need you. We don't need me. Whew, we don't need me. We just need you. You're the one who knows our hearts. You're the one who knows our needs. You're the one who knows your plans for us, plans not to harm us, Plans to give us a future and a hope. And you have the words of life. So we're listening and we're willing. To set aside our own ideas and agendas and speak to us this morning through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. Today's message is called Killjoy. You could make a, you could throw an S on there and call it Killjoys. You have any people in your life that, since we're talking about people problems, they like come in a room and all the joy leaves? Don't say yes out loud. Don't look at the people sitting in your row either. I think we all know what it's like to be around somebody who can just suck the life out of a room, kill all the joy. But I don't think we're very aware of the idea or the fact, I'll say, I'll be so bold as to say the fact, that you are just as capable of killing joy as anybody else. And we're talking today about what it's like or what happens when we become, what God has to say about when we become the killjoys. You see, there's a bunch of things we can put into the category of killjoy this morning. And here are three things we're putting into the category that I want to address in this passage in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. And here here they are. It's When we become a negative person, when we become a critical, have a critical attitude, and when we are cynical about all the other people we come in contact with. These three areas are extreme killjoys. And they're three areas that I want to address, and, and maybe if you're stuck in a really negative space, if you are being super critical of people around you, maybe even of yourself, or if you are struggling with cynicism, my hope is that not only will this message or this passage of truth from God's word free you from that a little bit, maybe loosens its grip on your heart and help you understand it better, but even if you're not and you're generally positive, I hope this passage, this message helps you kind of avoid these killjoys for your life. There's this story, and I want to read first, and we'll kind of break it down and and talk about it a little bit. In Numbers chapter 13 and 14, I'm not going to be able to read all of it, but I'm just going to give you a really quick overview of it and then read some of the passage here. And if you want to get more out of it, I I would encourage you to do that. Just study these two chapters on your own. I think it would be an incredible, uh, you'd probably pull a lot more out of it than you will just sitting here listening to me. But when we come to Numbers chapter 13, a lot has been going on for this nation of Israel called God's people. They had been in bondage in Egypt and had been under slavery and that huge burden, and God had delivered them from that using a man called Moses, who was quite the character. He um, was a guy that God had called and equipped for this, but he also had failed epically. He killed the dude. You probably haven't ever killed a dude, right? Like, I I hope you've never killed a dude. Uh, But if you have, your story's still not over. Like, God can still do some stuff in your life. And uh, Moses was somebody who ran away from God's calling, but then God brought him back and sent him to free his people from Israel. And he couldn't speak well. He wouldn't have made a good preacher. He wouldn't have have been some guy pumping out inspiring Instagram videos that would get you all pumped up. He's just like... Pretty regular when it came down to it, except for this incredible calling God had on his life. Now, you may be pretty regular, except God has a calling on your life, too. Well, anyway, Moses had led the nation of Israel through um, the world, out of Egypt, and the Egyptians had pursued him, and absolutely incredible stuff had been going on, and this is the shortest you could ever explain this, like there's a pillar of fire guiding them at night, and a pillar of cloud at day, and they, they crossed the river, and uh, God parted it, and they walked through to the other side, and then it swallowed up all the Egyptians who were pursuing them, and it's incredible stuff making their way from through the wilderness to the promise of God. You ever feel like a promise is like just out of reach? Like maybe you've heard this promise of God talk. You've heard God talk about the promises He has for you, but you just haven't realized it yet. You're kind of on this journey, and God's doing some stuff while you're on the journey. You may not like all of it, it may be very uncomfortable, but you've seen some stuff too, and you're like, wow, okay, yeah, I don't like this part, but God's been doing some stuff. I can't believe He's got us. This far, I can't wait till I get to the promise that he has for me. They're right on the verge of that promise. They've been through some stuff. They didn't handle it all good, just like we don't handle it all good. They made plenty of mistakes, just like we make plenty of mistakes. They got to see God do some incredible stuff on the journey. And that's pretty epic. But here they are, coming to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, and they are on the cusp of experiencing God's promise for them. And God tells Moses to go send some spies into the land to scope it out, see what's going on, and to give him a report so they can know what to expect because even though God has a promise for your life, there's still challenges you're going to have to walk through. You can experience the promise of salvation. It doesn't mean everything in your life is going to go good. You can step into the promise of his presence. That doesn't mean that other people aren't going to annoy the snot out of you sometimes. like that use of snot right there? Working my way back into it. Here they are on the edge of it, and so Moses takes 12 men, one from each tribe. The nation of Israel was made up, it was broken up into kind of 12 tribes. He says, one from... Each of them, there's a bunch of names and a bunch of crazy people and crazy places. I'm going to skip most of those this morning. That's not important to focus on. What's important to focus on, these 12 people were tasked with going into the promised land and bringing back a report. Bringing about a report. So, Egypt's, or so Moses sends them in and it says they went up and they explored the land. They go through here and over there and they're doing all this stuff. And they go see the descendants of Anak who lived there. And the descendants of Anak are... Giants, giant people, Um, it says in verse 23 of chapter 13, when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them had to carry it on a pole between them. That's some grapes, people. Oh, and also, for all you health nuts out there, they also brought pomegranates and figs. So... Uh, you can keep the pomegranates and figs, but I could put some grapes away. I got put some grapes away. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off of there at the end of 40 days. So they're exploring for 40 days. They returned from exploring the land. It says they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, this is important here, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Then he lists a bunch of the enemies, Amalekites, and all these other people, Canaanites, live all near the sea, near the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people. He was one of the 12 spies before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. About the land they had explored, they said, "The land we explored devours those living in it." It's not a realistic assessment. If the land they explored devoured the people that were living in it, how did they see people living in it? All the people we saw there were of great size. And they go on and it says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we had to look like grasshoppers to them. It goes on and it says, that night members of the community raised their voices. They wept aloud. They grumbled. They said, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. <laughs> what a miserable assessment of life in their past. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Great speech. You know what the result was? It says in verse 10, they picked up stones to stone them. We're talking about killjoys this morning, and we're talking about the killjoy of a negative spirit, a critical spirit, and a cynical spirit. And the lines between these three can be very blurry, and it's easy for us to notice it in somebody else in your relationships it's easy for you to pick this out about somebody else because they just take all the life out of the room when somebody is being really negative and, and you pitch an idea or you're talking to them about something you're excited about and all they do is point out all the things that are wrong with your plan when somebody is. Is cynical and they're constantly questioning your motives and everybody else's motives and and your self-interest, and everybody else, and just assuming everybody has bad intentions, everybody has bad motives. It's not that crazy. You do it too sometimes when you get a text with no context, you assume the worst. And when when people have a critical spirit, where it's just like they're criticizing over and over. Maybe you have somebody that's criticizing you, or you grew up in a home where you were. Criticized over and over, the negatives always pointed out, your motives always questioned. Maybe you're living with somebody now who does that. Maybe you do it and you haven't even realized it. You're killing joy. And there's a couple of problems with this. Problem one is it's a distorted view, it's a distorted view of your past, it's a distorted view of the people. It's a distorted view of your future. Your past wasn't all that bad. These people aren't all defined by all the negatives that you list over and over and over again. And your future is not bound to the same experiences that you have had in your past. It's a distorted view, just as their view of the land was distorted. And they thought everybody living there was devoured. You, Problem one, if you're living in negativity or with a critical spirit, you have a distorted view of the people around you. You're not seeing the whole picture, all that God has placed into your life. Here's problem number two, and this one's the most important, the hardest, the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that if you are harboring that kind of spirit, you're not living in God's ideal for you. It's not what he has for you. It's not his plan. It's not his purpose for you. It's not his ideal. It's not how he wants you to live. It's not how he wants you to see other people. You could sum it all up with this one word. It's sinful. Not a popular word. It hits home when I'm realizing that I have a critical attitude towards somebody in my life or I'm cynical about all their motives. When I'm only focused on the negative, not only is it killing joy for myself, not only is it a distorted view of life and all that God has given me, but it's also just downright not what he wants me to do. It's sinful. And then the other problem is it grows and it spreads. You know how like somebody who's really critical can rub off on you and then all of a sudden you realize you're being really critical? Somebody who's really negative in your little group, in your little circle, in your workplace, in your home... In your small group at church, ha <laughs> ha. In your little meeting, somebody, one person, just takes one person of negative. You know how easy it is for a negative person to gather a crowd? Super easy. Super easy. And it happens. It happens in churches all over the place, small groups all over the place. It happens under the disguise of prayer requests sometimes. It happens. It grows, and it spreads, and it kills joy, and it's sinful, and it's not how God has us to live. It looks like, and it sounds like in relationships, it looks like. if you, you See, here's the problem. You could slip into this and not even know. It's so easy to go from just being a little negative to a lot of negative, from sliding from somebody who's kind of like oriented towards the negative into being a critical person. It's so easy to go from being critical to being a cynic and questioning everybody's. It's so easy. You don't have to try. It just happens. It just happens. Here's what it looks like. It looks like in your relationship. So here's some like litmus test. Is this something I struggle with? If, if. If you, it is so easy for you to list the problems in the other person has, list all the negatives the other person has, all the deficiencies they have, and you struggle to say anything positive, you're in deep. If all you can list are the ways their breathing annoys you and the way they eat their cereal annoys you and... The way they walk up the steps is annoying. The way they talk during a movie is annoying. And you struggle to even list anything positive that God has brought into your life through them. You're struggling with this kind of spirit. When you make a mistake they make, part of their character, you're struggling with this. Now, now, this, let's get for real, right? Like, so... When you take something they do, a mistake they made, and you you claim to them that it's part of their character, they make a dumb decision and you call them stupid, you're making it part of their character. You're in deep. If you get annoyed, if your annoyance trigger goes off constantly, (laughs) like all the time, you're annoyed by everything, everything they do, if you're annoyed by them, your your noise triggers going off everywhere all over the place and you're struggling with this kind of spirit. If you go from 0 to 100, by the way, people go to 0 to 100 because they don't have any empathy for the person. They're unwilling to see any part of their view of it. If you go to 0 to 100 like that, you're struggling with this kind of attitude. If you don't really see all of who they are anymore, you're struggling with this attitude. Like if you can't see the good that God has placed in them, like I don't care how bad your relationship has gotten, that person is an image bearer of God, has been gifted by God if they belong to him, has has some incredible parts of their life. If you can't see that too or appreciate that too, if you can't hear can't really hear anything hear what they're saying hear what's underneath it anymore you might be struggling with it that's what it looks like in our relationships and you can be selective in it like maybe just one person or you can just throw everybody in it it can be just a season of your life or it can be your whole life either way it's a dangerous road to let your heart go down here's how you get there You get there because of fear. It's fear of being hurt again, fear of being embarrassed, fear of being shown up, fear of not having your love reciprocated. It's fear of humiliation. It's fear of, there's all different kinds of things that we fear. We think, man, uh, that person, they hurt me, they caused me pain, they messed up my life. This isn't the way it was supposed to go to. And so we allow this kind of spirit to kind of settle in to protect us and to keep it from happening again. The problem is your heart is never best placed in the hands of another person, whether they're great or awful. Your broken heart isn't best protected by you. Your heart is best placed in the hands of God. He's the one who knows your deepest needs. He's the one who promises to be close to the brokenhearted. He's the one that can fix what we think is unrestorable. And he will mend your heart if you give it to him. The story is incredible. This group of spies go into this land, and they see what they see, and they come back with this report, and what happens as a result of the crowd swinging towards because the crowd is part of our sinful nature. It will always go to the drama. It will always go to the negative. It will always go to the critical. Because of that, they, they, the nation like whips into this fervor, this kind of like mob mentality, and they miss out. They miss out on the promise. They were so close, so close, but because of their fear, because of their lack of trust in God, they miss out on going into the promised land. Moses, he pleads on their behalf and for their forgiveness, and uh, this is in the last half of 14, and, and he says in verse, God says in verse 20, I have forgiven them as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and the wilderness, but disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised them. They missed out on the promise. It makes me wonder how many times are the promises of God there for me to experience, but I withhold myself from them because of a critical spirit or a negative attitude. I don't get to really experience his presence, though it is promised to me and available to me every day. I don't get to experience his presence in relationships, in my home, his peace in relationships, in my home, at work, because I'm just so locked in on everything I see wrong in the people around me. It's a story about missing out. And I have a couple takeaways. I'm just going to run through these real quick. Maybe some of these will make sense. You can write them down, just grab ones that you think are helpful to you. But I have some takeaways that I pull from this that have been a challenge to me. And hopefully they're a challenge to you. And the first takeaway I have is that I need to see life and people through the lens of faith, not my fear. That was the difference in the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who brought back a good report. It wasn't that they were blind. Their faith was not blind, but it was faith. They were not naive to the challenges. that's, That's faith. See, faith takes a right assumption or assessment of the challenges that lays ahead. But it also says that I don't gotta do it all by myself. My faith tells me I can trust God to see us through. Faith says if God promised it, he'll deliver. It's faith that says, oh man, this is overwhelming, but he said we're going to get through it. So I'm going to eat some grapes and I'm going to get through it. See through faith, not through fear. In our relationships, this happens so much. We, we, We treat others, react to others out of fear of rejection, out of fear of being alone, out of fear of, Being hurt out of fear of being embarrassed, out of fear of all kinds of things, and we just learn to react in relationships. But what if you stood in the middle of your relationship and said, I'm gonna look with faith at this thing? And that brings us to point number two. It's this it says, it's look for opportunities for God to show up in your relationship. It's not looking for opportunities where you think they're gonna fail. It's looking for opportunities where God will show up. You know where I find he shows up? In my weakness. That's why Paul boasted about it in the New Testament. He's like, I'm weak, I'm gonna brag about it a minute. Let me just tell you, I'm the worst, I'm, you know, like, but that's okay, because in my weakness, God's strength is made known. Like, and I want that. I want that more than I'm embarrassed about my weakness. And so this kind of attitude, when played out in our relationships, it steps into the middle and says, look, look, this thing's a train wreck, and that's okay, because God can show up in train wrecks. This thing's like one nail away from being put in the coffin and buried, but that's okay, because God can redeem and resurrect buried things. I'm so weak, I don't know how to lead my family anymore, but that's okay, Because God is strong enough to lead and form me if I just follow him. I don't know how to fix it after this mistake I made. That's okay because God will demonstrate his power if I just follow him in it. Look for opportunities and the greatest weaknesses in your relationship right now are opportunities for God to show up. It doesn't mean he will restore the relationship. In some cases, maybe that's not even his will. But it does mean that he will restore you. Look for opportunities for God to show up. in the places he, I love so much when he shows up. I don't, I love when he shows up, at like a nice little picnic time out in a, like, you know, hey, sunset, ooh, things are cute, look at this, like, you know, that's great and all. I'm glad his presence is with us everywhere. But I absolutely love, and it, I'm addicted to him showing up in the broken spaces, in the weak spaces of my life. Three, I spent too much time on that one. I'm gonna have to go fast. I got fired up a little bit. It's warm in here. Look for for positives and list them instead of just listing all the negatives. This is just a practical, practical thing. The spies that gave a bad report had a really long list of negative things and a really short list of good things. Joshua mentioned the bad things, but had a really long, and Caleb had a long list of good things. Make a practical list. It's just flexing a different muscle in your brain if you have been stuck in negativity and criticalness. Just make a different list in your brain. It's practical. Work those muscles. Number four, resist the crowd noise. I don't care where you are. Resist it in your small group, Bible study, because it'll happen there. Resist it in church. Resist it at your workplace. Like the crowd noise is everywhere, and, and it always will take you to negative, bad places. Always. Resist the crowd noise, and instead listen for the voice of Jesus. How would he have you live? How would he have you see them? How would he have you treat them? Focus on the right cluster is my number four takeaway. Five, number five takeaway. Focus on the right cluster. Maybe your life is a cluster. (laughs) Maybe your relationship is a cluster. Find the cluster of grapes and focus on that cluster. Focus on the way God will provide. Focus on his character. Focus on his goodness. There may be a thousand things wrong with your circumstance right now and one thing right that God is doing in and through it. Focus and give your attention to that one thing. It's a promise too, you know, that He works in all things for the good of those who love Him. So if you love Him and are called according to His purpose, you may have a thousand things going right, but somewhere in that situation, God is doing some good. Find that cluster and focus on it. Here's the last. Here's number uh, number six. Flip your butt. My kids have this sermon they always refer to as the butt sermon. It's because I, I like, did this whole thing about butt God and butt God. and like, uh, They were like, the butt God? Or are you saying butt God? You're saying that too fast, Dad. You better slow down when you speak. Right? Like, so I'm sure I'm going to get myself in trouble for this, but you've got to flip your butt. That's not about doing some new fancy dance. It's about when verse 27 they, they say, we went into land which you sent us into, it flows with milk and honey, and there's lots of fruit, but there's bad guys, and there's a lot of them, and it's going to devour us. You've got to flip that kind of butt. We think like that all the time. We think like, oh, yeah, there's this good stuff, but man, it's going to be bad, or yeah, but they're going to get me at some point, or but yeah, oh, boss had a good day with the boss, but I'm sure he's just saving it up for later, right? right? Like We always get that butt. We've got to flip it. Maybe there's some junk in your life that's not good. It's okay to talk about it, but then you got to put the butt at the end that says, but God can do something here. But God can redeem this situation. But God can see me through. But God can do something that is immeasurably more than I ever thought of asking for, than I ever could have imagined. But God, flip your butt. Don't forget that. <laughs> Don't email me about it either. Don't care. Number seven, Joshua and Caleb were from the perspective of they can, we can, instead of we can't. It's because they understood who God was and he was their source. Philippians 4.13 is the like famous gym verse, right? Like gym rat verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's mostly talking about finding contentment and everything. But Jesus also said nothing is impossible for God, right? Like so if you have this perspective that you don't have to be your own source, that God could be the source of your life, then all of a sudden things that you say can't Happen, can happen. If God is the one who's driving it, if he's the one who's providing you strength, if he's the one we're asking for the miraculous to happen through, then you can change any can't into a can. Through God, it can happen if it's his will. With God on my side, I can get through this. With God, it doesn't matter what the obstacles look like in front of me, I can do it. Not because of me, but because of him. And here's the last one. God is your protector. Joshua and Caleb had learned that at some point during the journey when it was missed by everybody else. Oh, they were through it. They saw the same things Joshua and Caleb saw. They saw the water held back. They saw the Egyptian army swallowed up. They saw the pillar of fire and the cloud. But at some point, Joshua and Caleb came to learn and know God as their protector do you? Do you know he is your protector? He will see you through. There was for, it was forgiven, but there were consequences for their choices. And I, I don't want you to think like you can just go home, say some positive stuff, and then everything's going to be fixed. Sometimes you've got to walk this one out a little bit. You got to learn some new muscles and you got to start to see God differently and allow him at these areas of your heart that are uncomfortable and that scare you. You got to start to trust him in your relationships. And, And sometimes those lessons are hard learned over a long haul. And this nation of Israel would wander around the desert for a long time before that promise was realized for their kids. But man do I want my kids to realize these promises of God too? So the walk back, it's worth it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. And and I pray that you'd help protect us from kind of like becoming a negative. It's not your will for us. It's not who you called us to be. Help us to see people the way you see them, the way you want us to see them. It doesn't mean everything's rosy and peachy all the time. It doesn't mean things will be fixed or put back together. But it does mean that we're finally trusting you for what our future has and whatever you have for us in our future, we're good with. We invite it. We want to follow you. Help us to learn to trust you. If we have those kind of attitudes, help us to root them out in our hearts